Good morning, saints of the living God. Today is Sunday, December 3rd. And the title of today's message is... It's... What is it, Adam? Well, Pastor, the title of today's message is... Oh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. You heard the man of God. The title of today's message is a mystery that is yet to be revealed. We're currently in a beautiful season of revelation. Would you agree? Yes. We're being trusted with the secret things of God. Things that men have longed to look into for millennia. Revelations that men have wondered about for years and years and most had no answers to. And Adonai is choosing to entrust those mysteries to us. Have you ever thought about the fact that a, a small Gentile church in Houston, Texas in the United States is getting mysteries about the plan of God and how we will have a role in that plan? Have you considered that lately? Have you considered the fact that that small Gentile church has been multiplied throughout the United States and begun to multiply in other nations of the world with this revelation of God's mystery? Have you considered that lately? Can you feel what the Lord is doing in our midst this morning? If you look back, even just at the last several weeks of messages and teaching, you can't help but to feel blessed from what has been revealed and the level at which your eyes have been opened to the real gospel that was meant to be understood from the beginning of the plan of God. Pastor Nick, I can smell what the rock is cooking. <laughs> the rock of Israel, that is. Come on. Another beautiful part about these revelations regarding Israel. God's plan from the beginning and his continual spurring on of men and his church in order to attain that plan is that he doesn't just want to show his cards to just anyone. That's true. In fact, the word clearly says that to those who have been faithful, more will be entrusted. You have been faithful with that. You have been given, and so the Lord has chosen you to entrust more too. And with that, he expects a great return on this great investment. Do you understand the great investment we've been given? You are a body who holds in your hand not one talent, not two talents, but five talents that the word speaks about. Those five talents need to be put to work immediately. If you guys remember from Thursday's sermon and what a good sermon that was. You Gentiles were once not even a people, but now you are included with the very people of God. And that comes with a great amount of responsibility and a great amount of work toward the plan of God. We're going to open up this message in Romans 11. And a well-known passage that most believe that they understand already. But indeed, they do not. Romans 11, we are going to begin together in verse 24 from the ESV. Yeah, that's right. Say there, at least, at least let us know you guys are turning to the passage with us. For if you, oh, you, Adam, you. Now, this is one of those rare times in the word of God where the you actually applies to you. It's one of those rare times where we're actually talking about Gentiles. The word of God is actually addressing us. You were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, engrafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? The truth is, you Gentiles have taken your salvation for granted. That's right. We're going to be honest with you this morning. You don't have to actually admit it, but yet, this passage clearly says it. You guys are wild. You guys are unnatural. 
Your inclusion into this plan of God is contrary to the natural order of things in every way. But indeed, you were included. Somebody say, praise God for that. The reality of what your inclusion means must be that if you wild olive shoots, you unnatural shoots were grafted in, then there is absolutely no way. Somebody say, no way. There is no way that the natural branches of Israel will not be grafted back into their own olive tree. This is the natural order of things, according to the creation that, by the way, the king of Israel spoke into being. Let's continue on to verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own conceits. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Oh, yeah. And in this way, in this way, say in this way, in this way, all Israel will be saved. In this way, the fullness of the Gentiles coming in really has nothing, say nothing, nothing. to do with the Gentiles, which oh, is you. Now, some of you are thinking that I just spouted heresy, okay? Thinking, what, what is Adam talking about? Hear me. You are not the point. You, you are the medium to get to the goal of Israel's salvation. One more time. You are the medium to get to the goal of Israel's salvation. Through Israel, the world will experience salvation, but not without Israel. We are those who have been mysteriously included to fulfill a role in Adonai's original plan to bring salvation through Israel. To do this in another way is to make you wise in your own conceits. Wow. That's dangerous. As ESV puts it to this verse in 25, it is a mystery, however, that together with Israel, you are in fact one bride of Christ, but we will get into that a little more later. It will take the full number of Gentiles to actually accomplish God's plan for his nation, the Jewish people. And his plan, saints, we can say with confidence, will happen. Amen. You can see that clearly as we continue in verse 26. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is a certainty. It's a certainty that the, deliver, the deliverer of Israel is coming for his nation. That he will keep his never-ending, everlasting covenant with her. He is working every day, in fact, through his people to make sure that this perfect end comes about. That she attains her ultimate goal of purity without sin. Fully married to her groom. What a glorious day that will be. This imagery is actually pervasive throughout the word. But it brings to mind a particular passage that we're going to visit together next. So while you're envisioning this bride, bride of Israel, perfected and sinless and in complete unity with her groom, turn with us to Ephesians 5. What you just read in Romans 11 is wedding language. But one of the aspects that many do not focus on in this glorious process is the time and efforts that it takes from the groom. Every day. Say every day. Every day. Every day that passes between now and the ultimate fulfillment of this perfection. Ephesians 5 gives us insight into this process through the medium of our own marriages and what that daily journey must look like between a husband and a wife. We all there? Starting in verse 22. Wives, it's very clear. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Justify, Lincoln. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's no, yeah he knows. I'm excited. Give me a wife. That's right. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also, wives should submit to their husbands in 
What was that last word? Some things. Everything. Man, it's almost like we've been through the marriage teaching before, right? We're, we're, we're catching on. We're getting this. That's awesome. Wives, when you got married to your husbands, oh, come, on. come on, you thought that that moment was the ultimate, cult of, the, the ultimate culmination, the fulfillment of everything good, all your dreams, all your desires just done on one day. Like that. Everything would be perfect now. Everything's right in the world. All the things that we had to deal with before, they're gone. I'm married now. The, <laughs> neither was it mine. The major journey of getting ready for the wedding was done. You completed your marriage counseling. You, you looked beautiful in your wedding dress. And you got a place with your man. Yeah. Everything was great. Little did you know that your wedding day was just the beginning of the... Uh, Glorious process, glorious process of learning to submit and respect your husband so that the real journey of perfection could start for you. Shall we move on to you husbands now? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Husbands, I want you to go back to your wedding day for a second. You finally got through marriage counseling, and you got all five weeks down, man. I mean, you got that thing down. You got it locked up. You got it in the box, man. Maybe never to come out for a little while. You've secured a place to live. And you've finally gotten to that moment of ultimate release. Oh, praise God. Come on, man. You know what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Well, now you can relax now, right? <laughs> Little. <laughs> I love that second round, Elder Eric. Little did you know. That, that was just the initiation of your covenant. All of the real work was really still ahead of you. So we have a slide that you guys should all remember. The job description. Woo! So if you're like me as a man that thought it for the first time, you're a little like, okay, I got you. See, uh, did we forget? <laughs> That's a, that was my second thought. It's, kinda, it's a little uneven there, right? So we're intimate with this, husbands and wives both. What we want, what you see on the screen is actually the process that the Bible teaches us uh, that must occur for husbands and wives to truly be one. We can't miss that fact. To truly be one, these, the descriptions you see, must happen. Truly unified in every way and living in the fullness of their covenant. This is the fullness of the covenant and they, that they initiated with one another on their wedding day. Can someone say, that is a process? That's a process. <laughs> like Gabe just said, how? Well, that's a process to it. It's easy to lose sight of the ultimate goal that Paul states in this passage. Would you agree? Yeah. Has that happened in your lives? Yeah. The ultimate goal is that the husband would be able to present his wife back to himself without stain, yeah. without wrinkle, mm -hmm. completely holy and blameless. Wow. In other words, totally perfected. That's your goal, husbands. Yeah. Yeah. Did you lose sight of that yet? Get it back in your sights. The end goal of perfection is always in view. But Adam, I got a problem with this a little bit. Because do you remember who wrote this passage? Paul. Yeah, Paul. 
Wait, Paul, wait. Paul wrote this passage. Oh, that's interesting. Paul's speaking about marriage here. How could that even be possible? He was the most eligible bachelor of the first century. How does he know about these things? Well, the very next verse is going to help you understand why Paul was qualified to speak with the very authority of God that he did on the subject of husbands and wives. Read 32 together with us. This is a profound mystery. But... I am talking about Christ in the church. Oh, yeah, we often forget about that little portion of the passage, don't we? This entire passage isn't really speaking about a husband and a wife. That's not Paul's main goal in Ephesians chapter 5. What he is trying to teach us about is regarding Christ and his church. We're to learn about our relationship to our spouse through Christ's relationship to the church and not the other way around. Man, that's easy to get caught up in. How many times do we see what our marriage is and the good and the bad in our marriage and then we try to reflect that back on Christ and on our brothers and sisters in the church? That is the wrong end of the funnel, saints. We learn from our relationship with Christ in the church about what our marriage and our relationship with each other is supposed to look like. This is how Paul is able to expound on what a marriage must look like. His standard is the perfect model and example for all of our homes. So with all that in mind, we need to engage with this passage in the way we just did, but one step deeper. In order to do so, you've got to ask yourself, where did the single man, Shaul, get this kind of revelation? Good question. Gotta be. Gotta be. Where did Paul get his proof text for Ephesians 5 passage that we love and have taught on so much? Turn with us to Ezekiel 36. Oh, come on. Let's go, baby. As you are turning there, let me help you with the context of the passage. Ezekiel is describing centuries in advance how Adonai will bring his bride into uh, perfect relation with himself. So that we don't have to cover chapter upon chapter, you should be aware that in Ezekiel's flow, Israel is in an unredeemed state and has just undergone massive judgment, wow. leaving only a remnant who are not yet like their husband. She wasn't perfect yet. Not she was perfect. not perfect yet, but she wanted to be. Go to verse 24 as Adonai, the great groom, brings them into covenant with himself and begins a process. It says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Oh, there it is. There it is. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Amen. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Come on. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Yeah. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Come on, church. Do you see it, church? Yeah. Saints here, the declarative statements that Adonai is making is about his bride. The bride. The bride that he is going to perfect. The bride, like we heard during worship, he wants to set a royal diadem on. Yeah, come on. And he will. Adonai is saying, I will to a bride that is not perfected, but will be when he is done with her. The state that Israel is currently in will not, or sorry, will be, will not be how she remains, and certainly not how she ends. Adonai's determination is evident and it's inspiring. For all of us that men in the room, that is evident and it's inspiring. Yeah, it is. What he will be able to accomplish with his bride should be the inspiration that we glean from even into our own marriage covenants. 
The, cul the culmination is a husband bringing his bride to be with him and serious, serious work is being done on his part to make sure that his bride belongs to him and she is fully his. Adonai has made these eternal promises to his bride, to Israel, and he is the ultimate faithful husband. He's working constantly. He's working throughout history through his faithful actions toward her. He's making sure that she is sprinkled with clean water. He reminds them that she belongs to him and he to her. He cleanses her from her impurities and her idols. He works to soften her heart so that he can move her to follow his decrees and his laws. He provides for her needs. He feeds her. He cares for her. Man, he's doing these things and he will continue to do them faithfully until he has his pure and spotless bride. So we've got a slide so that you guys have a visual and you can't miss it. You can get the same revelation that we got in these two passages. On the left is Ezekiel 36, Adonai and Israel. On the right, you have comparisons with Ephesians 5, speaking about Christ and the church. I will sprinkle clean water on you, cleansing her with water. You can see these. You will be my people. I will be your God. Ephesians 5 says to present her to himself as a radiant church. I will cleanse her is like without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. As this list is staggering as we go through it. And we're a little shocked that we've missed it up to this point. It is. I, I mean, you can't, you can't deny that. You look across and you're like, what? it's amazing. It's amazing what Adonai is doing, what he's moving in. He is working every day, working what is pleasing to him into his people to make sure that this perfect end comes about. You could see that with this, that she attains her ultimate goal of purity without sin and fully, I mean, fully married to her groom. Yeah. We want to make sure that you have Ezekiel 36 framed in its proper uh, place and order within God's plan in the book we are reading from. Remember what comes next in the book of Ezekiel. Resurrection and unification of Israel occur in chapter 37. Mm -hmm. Judgment of all Israel's enemies occurs in chapters 38 and 39. Yeah. Vision of the restored nation at the end of chapter 39. Then the culmination of all things in the millennial kingdom in chapters 40 through 48, including the millennial temple, the millennial worship, and the millennial land. Uh, did you guys hear that? Chapter 36 is right here, and that's what we've just read. That's what we've put on the screen. That's what we've studied. Yeah. But 37 is about Israel's resurrection, yeah. Israel's ultimate unification with God. Guys, chapter 38 and 39 talks about how the Lord is going to take care of all of her enemies. All of her enemies throughout history are going to be fully put to death and conquered. And then we have vision of that completed and restored nation. And then 40 is all about the millennial reign and its ultimate, ultimate uh, fulfillment of those prophecies and how it plays out for the next thousand years of unity. As that is a staggering reality and context of this great book, Ezekiel. Yeah, yeah. Every chapter from Ezekiel 37 until the end of Ezekiel describes the bride's ultimate restoration, yeah. unification, and perfection as one with her groom and in perfect shalom for the rest of time. Ezekiel 36 is the very plan of God to ensure that his bride reaches the state of perfection. So as we move forward from this revelation, we're going to review some of the major treasures that we have received over the past few sermons so that we can connect some dots for you throughout the law, prophets, and writings. Last Sunday, the sermon was Unforgettable Song. We learned from the law, the song of Moses, that Adonai had a mysterious plan to redeem Israel before they ever entered into the promised land. That plan involved the incorporation of Gentiles who would make his people jealous because they received Adonai and they protected his people during their most difficult hour. Furthermore, we learn that even in times when Israel has and will forget the law, 
The song detailed in Deuteronomy chapter 32, it will always be with them as the unforgettable song that they can come back to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and on Thursday night in the message, the bridge of the unforgettable song. Come on, you guys remember that one. (laughs) The bridge. We learned about the pleroma. Say pleroma. Pleroma. I love when we learn new words. It just uh, distinguishes you, you know? About the pleroma or fullness in Christ that we as Gentiles are called to participate in as living sacrifices. This fullness of the character of Christ in believing Gentiles would in fact begin the fullness of Israel's redemption. Yeah. So good. So before we continue with mysterious connections revealed in writings to the church in Ephesus, which is a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles. That's going to be important as we continue. Very. We want to take a brief moment to examine what it looks like for a Gentile to begin to operate in the revelation of the fullness of Christ, as well as what the fullness of Israel will look like. To do that, we're going to stop and perhaps the most prophetic of all the writings. That is the book of Daniel. We're going to pick up in Daniel 2 with the growing fullness of a Gentile ruler's understanding regarding the people of Israel and the God of Israel. Oh yeah, so everybody... Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to read verse 47 to you from the ESV. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Guys, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, and we wish that we could go through more of his life. But for this morning, you need to know that he was a wicked Gentile king. And he experienced a revelation of the God of Israel. And the first evidence that he was growing in his awareness of the fullness of God was that he began to extol the God of Israel who is the revealer of mysteries. In a sense, he began to catch the tune of Deuteronomy 32 in his mind and that unforgettable song. Secondly, he began to protect Daniel, who you can't forget. Daniel was a Jewish man. In his kingdom, because of his growing understanding in the mysteries of the God that Daniel served. You catching that? You catching that imagery? He got a revelation of the God of Israel, the revealer of mysteries, and it caused him to want to protect a man of God that was in God's kingdom, a Jew. When you are thinking of what it looks like for Gentiles to come into the fullness, to come into the pleroma of Christ, you need to note that it begins with two important facets for you and for me. The first being that you have a growing awe, and a growing reverence for Adonai and his ability to reveal mysterious things to the sons of men. And secondly, that this revelation should and must produce action on account of these revealed mysteries. Actions required of us. Namely, that you and I forever relate differently to the Jewish people when the revealer of mysteries gives us revelation. Yeah, actions are important. You will remember that on Sunday we examined Rahab's enviable actions as a result of her limited understanding of the mysteries that Adonai had planned for his people and those who would join them by sacrificial action. And those, that understanding was extremely limited, mind you. <laughs> yeah, very limited. Very limited, and yet she moved to action. It was enough. The first moment of her salvation, it was enough. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony in chapter 2 and 4 are all consistent with the actions that must follow a revelation of Adonai, the revealer of mysteries. Now we are going to examine what the fullness in Christ or pleroma in Christ of Israel will accomplish because we, had, we have had a mystery, mysterious role in bringing it about since the beginning of Adonai's plan. Even though we are not fully aware of it, until now. Our next passage is from Daniel 9, which is of great relevance in multiple ways. 
its time of fulfillment is drawing near, both in an eschatological sense and in our personal need to participate in its culmination. So anybody remember the prophecy that we received about Daniel's 77s from two Sundays ago, exactly 14 days ago? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. We thought most of you might not. So we have a slide to help you remember what the Lord spoke to this body about our eminent responsibilities in the days ahead. Let's put that on the screen. Two weeks ago, 70 weeks are determined about the people of Israel, about the city of Jerusalem. They shall finish the transgression. They shall put an end to sin and their iniquity shall be atoned for. This will be an everlasting righteousness. It will fulfill every vision of every prophet and it will anoint my most holy people. Man, do you hear the language of Ezekiel 36 in this prophecy? I, the Lord, have declared this. I have declared it in advance that you might be my witnesses of it and declare the former things. And say that I, Yahweh, have declared it in advance. Testify my people. Testify to what I have said, to what is and to what has been, and what will be. For you are my witnesses of the things that I have said, even before they come to pass. So in the same way that the Gentile king Nebuchadnezzar was once just a wicked goy, but who then experienced a revelation of the God of Israel and was revealed mysteries for a very specific purpose in Adonai's plan, we have also become Gentiles following the exact same biblical pattern. We are the Gentile medium who has received revelation from the very revealer of mysteries. We are now responsible to act upon that revelation. Let's look into Daniel's 77s together. After reading that prophecy, it seems like a good idea, doesn't it? We're going to grasp another essential aspect of Adonai's plan that we will witness to. Knowing these heavenly things will cause great envy among the Jews, but they also will be the very sign to Israel that he is going to achieve his plan for the entire nation. So let's turn in our Bibles to Daniel 9, 24. Perfect. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. You've already learned that from the law of Moses, it was predicted that Israel would receive the fullness of redemption in Messiah. Let's examine what that fullness looks like on a slide. So we have the accomplishments of the 77s. We have a finish to the transgression, the Pesha, willful rebellion, an end to sin, Hata, error or sinful conduct, atoning for wickedness, Avon, liability or guilt, everlasting righteousness. I cannot wait for that perfection. I, yeah. To seal up vision, to seal up prophecy, and anoint the most holy. Look at the verbiage we have here. Finish, end, atone, everlasting Sealing up, sealing up and anointing. Yeah. These are actionable things that are going to be happening at the end. This is actionable of what, we're, what is going to be fulfilled that Adonai is already stating in advance. This is the testifying that we are called to do. So the end of the 77s in Daniel is the same time frame that is in view that Romans 11 has. When the fullness or pleroma of the Gentiles has finally arrived. They fully understand their responsibilities, and in that way, all of Israel will be saved. At the culmination of the ages, there's going to be no more willful rebellion. There's going to be no more wrong or sinful conduct. There's going to be no more liability or guilt. There's going to be everlasting righteousness. Hallelujah. No more visions will be needed at that point. No more prophets or prophecy are going to be needed. And the most holy, most likely the holy of holies, 
of the temple in Jerusalem is going to be anointed. This all refers to the culmination of the ages and what Adonai is going to do for his bride. We must be witnesses to these things, church. Yes, to the Gentiles, of course. But the goal is always that we will ultimately witness them to the Jews because that is who they are for. Yeah, that is who they are for. The book of Daniel presents a scenario that is instructive for us all. Jews are in exile and vulnerable in every way. And a few Gentiles have a revelation of the God who reveals mysteries. And then begin to protect men like Daniel. Then Daniel goes on to tell us about the battles that will occur before the return of Messiah. And to clearly depict what the fullness of Christ for Israel will look like. As Gentiles... Our fullness of understanding of these promises of God to his nation is what we must testify about to God's people. Our confidence of these things comes first from our proper understanding of the mystery of why we were included in the church in the first place. I'm going to say that one more time. Our confidence of these things comes first from our proper understanding of the mystery of why we were included in the church in the first place. This is to understand God's ultimate plan for his people, to portray Messiah to them. Portray. That means actions. It's not so much about words. What are you doing? They need to see something, not hear something. They need to see your life and your doctrine. That's why. Paul tells us to watch it closely. This is to understand God's ultimate plan for his people to portray Messiah to them and to express the same kind of confidence that he has in his people that they will be. So we have another slide. We're going to pull it back up again. You remember this one. What is happening in here? You can see what Adonai is doing. He will sprinkle them. He will be, he tells them they will be his people. He will cleanse them from all your impurities. He will give you, give them a heart of flesh. He will put his spirit in them. He will move them to follow his decrees and laws, and he will make the grain plentiful for them. We testify to Israel about our confidence in God's plan coming to ultimate fulfillment And we treat them in the same way that Christ treats his church. Our fullness will result in their fullness. So as you guys are looking at that slide, I know the real question for many of you is, how exactly do we get from speaking directly to Israel as a nation in Ezekiel 36 to Paul making this comparison in Ephesians 5 between Christ and the church? Is that... A good question to ask. How do we get from point A to point B? How do we find ourselves included in this glorious process together with Israel? I'm very glad that you asked the question. Paul is a master of the Tanakh. He's a master of the law, the prophets, and the writings. If you read his epistles, you figure that out really quickly. He's constantly quoting from all three parts of the Tanakh. We want to show you Paul's thesis on the culmination of the mystery of the law, forecasted in the prophets, and what was demonstrated in the writings. It's called the epistle to the Ephesians. You guys go ahead and turn there. As you're turning, you need to know that Paul has already laid out for us why we are included. And he did it throughout the entire book of Ephesians. So that you can't miss it. Although most of you have missed it the entire time. It's definitely true. As I take you through this slide that we're going to put up here, note there are seven times throughout the book of Ephesians that Paul states and defines this mystery. So the sevenfold mystery in the epistle to Ephesus. Oh, yeah. As our brothers read in this, 
We want you to say mystery every time he, every time he gets to that word. This is the sevenfold mystery of the epistle to Ephesus. You guys seeing that with us? So say mystery when he reads, when he reads each verse. Ephesians 1.9, making known to us the? Mystery. Ephesians 3.3, 3, how the? Mystery. Has made known. Ephesians 3.4, you can perceive my insight into the? Mystery. Ephesians 3.6, this? Mystery. Is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Ephesians 3.9. What is the plan of the? Mystery. Ephesians 5.32. This Mystery. is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Oh. Lastly, Ephesians 6.19. Boldly to proclaim the? Mystery. Of the gospel. Even in our brief reading through these seven occurrences, one could never come away with the idea that the mystery that Paul is speaking about is in regard to Israel's ultimate destiny of restoration, salvation, and protection, perfection. This should not be the mystery at all. Did you guys hear that? We want to make sure that you got that before we move on. Yeah. Tell them again, Adam. Tell it again. In our brief reading through these, one could never come away with the idea that the mystery that Paul is speaking about is in regard to Israel's ultimate destiny of restoration, salvation, and perfection. This should not be the mystery at all, saints. He's speaking like it's common knowledge. Read your Bible. He promised it many times. That's not even a question. The real mystery is, how can you and I, as Gentiles, ever be included in their redemption. That's true. And if we are included, to what purposes? Paul, like Daniel, is giving us revelation into the plan of the revealer of mysteries. We are catching the tune of Deuteronomy 32. Can you see that? Can you hear it? Start moving to it? And it's now our time to engage in the role of protecting caring for and encouraging the foundational and preeminent part of the church that Christ died for, that has been greatly neglected up to this point. Yep. We are saved together with Israel, but we can never be saved without them. You know that Israel is the apple of God's eye. You know that they are his chosen people, his holy race, who are created to display his glory. You know this. And it always was and still today remains a mystery that any of us could be included together with them. That's the real mystery. Some takeaways from the sevenfold mystery in Ephesians that you should not and you just cannot miss before we move on. The, the Adonai's will through Christ was a mystery. His grace poured out on the Gentiles was a mystery. The Gentile inclusion as fellow heirs. It's a mystery. The intricacies of how the manifold wisdom of God would be displayed. That is a mystery. And the formation of Christ's unified church with Jew and Gentile together as one. Well, that's a mystery. And that mystery is becoming more of a material reality for us today. Yeah. Because our eyes are being opened more to our actual responsibilities Amen. in God's church. All of these show us the revelation that had to go into the greater reveal. The greater reveal is that the bride, Jews and Gentiles together, are working as one. That is the real mystery. Oh man, that's good. You should be jotting notes down about that right now. One. We're going to begin to head toward our closing. Begin. We're going to, we're going to start, start pointing the ship in that direction of a close. Yes. Slow roll. That's what's going to happen. But we have one more passage to visit on the way. The book of Revelation is the capstone on the entire word of God. And the whole book is a mystery revealed to John that was so deep and so unnerving 
that many times he fell as though dead at the feet of the angel of Jesus who was revealing it to him. We would like to visit the first revelation of this mystery with you. And we're going to still start in chapter 1, verse 19, for context before we move on to the specific directives that have great application for us this morning. So Revelation 1, 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Before Adam moves on to the next verse, you need to understand that John is getting a mystery revealed to him right now. You need to understand that Revelation begins, it's a, it's a book explaining an entire mystery from beginning to end. And many revelations that went into that mystery. John is getting the first revelation. He's about to get the first one. And the setup for it is, hey, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And as the angel is speaking to him, he falls at his feet as though dead because he can barely handle the depths of the mystery that is being revealed to him. With that kind of attitude, we're going to go into verse 1 and see what the first revelation of that mystery is. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. The first revelation of this mystery revealed is to the church of Ephesus. The Ephesian church, a church made up of both Jews and Gentiles. A church who is now quite familiar with the mystery of Christ that Paul wrote to them about years earlier. A local church who was about to be addressed regarding their own successes and failings and how they were representing the perfected church that Deuteronomy 32 Ezekiel 36, Daniel 9, Romans 11, and Ephesians 5, and so many other passages speak about. Are you curious about what was said to them yet? Awesome. If you're not curious, you should be. Does anyone remember what Ephesus means? Yeah, raise your hand if you actually remember what Ephesus means. Awesome. That's Lincoln. what we thought. Yeah. It means desired one. Desired one, like the model yeah. of a local church that Christ desired to reflect him rightly. Why do you think the mystery was revealed in the epistle to the church in Ephesus? Why do you think they got years to be able to get that mystery revealed, to live within that mystery, to apply it to their lives? A church that was mixed with both Jews and Gentiles with the mystery of God within their souls, looking to put that mystery into practice with every year that went by. And the first revealed mystery in Revelation is to that body of Christ. And he tells them very specific things based on the mystery that was revealed to them because he always wanted them to be his desired one. What he had planned in advance for the structure of what his church wanted to look like. Are you interested yet? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. This is the revelation of the church that is named as desired one. It's so, it's so amazing what he's speaking to the first. When you catch that mystery, you can't miss that. You can't lose it. It's not going to be etched in your brain. Every time you look back at Ephesians and you're reading through it, you understand what the aim and the goal is. What Adonai always had in his sight in order to complete his plan of ultimate salvation for his nation Israel. We're going to keep reading together. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name. And you have not grown weary. Praise God for those great traits. 
The church in Ephesus was a hard-working church. They had deeds of righteousness. They persevered. They couldn't tolerate wicked men because they had the 51% of righteousness that was able to stand up to wickedness and, and actually take a stand for God's righteousness and not tolerate anything else, praise God. They persevered and endured hardships. And they didn't grow weary. Yet, I hold this against you, verse 4. You've forsaken your first love. Adam, have you ever preached on this message, on this passage before? Absolutely. I've preached on this passage a thousand times. You guys have preached on this passage a thousand times. But it doesn't believe that you understood it when you preached on it. I'm telling you, you, you didn't understand it. Because you didn't have the background of the epistle to Ephesus. Paul chose the book of the Ephesians to definitively reveal the mystery of Gentile inclusion together with Israel. What he always had in mind since the beginning. Their inclusion with Israel, but never without Israel. Now if Ephesians was all about the understanding that the Gentiles must have regarding their role together with the Jews as the church of God, then returning back to this first century revelation, in your role in Adonai's ultimate plan for Israel, well, that must be at the forefront of your minds here as we read this passage. You are a piece of this puzzle. Absolutely. You are a part of God's plan. Yes, but until you learn to love Israel with the same love that Adonai has for them, with the same love that Christ loves you with, and the same love that must be reflected in your marriage, then you have fallen short of the call that you've received regarding the plan of Adonai and his people. It is your pleroma, your fullness, your full knowledge, and your full participation in this part of Adonai's plan that is required for all that he wants to do and all that he will accomplish. Verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Paul is talking about it in the Ephesian letter the height is there because it's a great mystery. It's a great thing to be alongside the Jewish people for your pleroma, the fullness, to be of aid and benefit for them. That's the great height from which you've fallen. That love for them that is lost. The height of understanding that the church of God has in the first century. This height of action in the plan of Adonai that has decayed under our watch Tell us how it's decayed, Adam. Hmm. In the first century, there was no question that all Israel would be saved. But now today, there is. In the first century, there was a mystery revealed about us Gentiles being included. And now, today, it's taken for granted. Taken for granted. In the first century, there was a drive. A drive among the Gentiles to serve and be like Christ. To the Jews that they're included with as one. Yeah. And now, today, there's not. We must repent and do the things that Christ's church in Ephesus did at first. Yeah. We must. This is the very reason that we have the lampstand of God his presence among us today. The Spirit of God has been poured out upon you as it has been poured out on the 12 Jewish apostles at Pentecost so that our Gentile fullness of knowledge, love, and sacrifice for his plan for Israel will be completed through us, the Gentiles, who are set apart for his purposes. This mystery and greater revelation brought to you today is a call for Repentance and immediate action. Men of God, 
It's impossible to repent and return to the first love that is spoken about to the church in Ephesus, a love for the sake of God's people and his plan, without first returning to the love that you know that you must have for the church that already exists all around you. There are many messages that are preached on this subject. You can go back and listen to Winning the War that brought you understanding of how to do this. And you can no longer make excuses for disunity and for selfishness that you have toward the other members of this body. Because what this body is for all of us today is a training ground for how we treat the body of Christ for the years to come. How you treat your brother and sister in this place, within this body, is going to be exactly how you treat the entirety of God's church, whether Gentile or Jew. You must look first. You must first look like Christ with one another before you can bring the knowledge and actions of Messiah to the rest of the Jewish world. You must be putting things into practice. You must look, not say. We talked about that earlier. You must look. Men, you cannot possibly hope to be Christ for the Jewish nation if you are not first Christ in your own home. Starting with your wife. Adonai is working to purify his nation to this very day and will see her perfected. Christ does the same thing for you every single day. It's time to repent of your sinful nature, your sinful behavior, and lead your wife like Christ is leading you. Can you feel the weight of the responsibility that you have to the members of this body? Can you feel a newfound revelation of the blessing that we are to each other? You see, the blessing that we are to one another goes way deeper than just you're my brother and we support each other. You see, what we're actually doing for each other right now is not just encouraging each other, but our interaction with each other as the very body of Christ is getting us prepared for the years ahead that we have with Jews and Gentile interaction for years and generations. How we treat each other now is how we will treat each other then. How our generations of the church of God will treat one another. You cannot wait to meet a Jew and just magically treat them like Christ. It doesn't work that way. It might work that way for the first several interactions. But soon, when the gold of this revelation has lost its luster in your soul, and you're no longer excited about it, all of a sudden that magical feeling begins to go away. This has to be a deep conviction that goes much deeper than it is now. Much deeper than, oh, my brother, he said something that I didn't like, so I'm going to be offended with him. Oh, my wife, she's not acting the way that she's supposed to, so I'm going to be discouraged and go to bed that way. Those actions are the very thing that must be corrected in this church this morning. See, we don't leave here without correcting these things as they are regarded in our home and as they regarded in this local church. Stand with us. I want to tell you this morning that for many of you, the spring of your mouth, the water that's been coming out of it is not clean but muddied. It's time, this altar is for you this morning. It's time to repent, to ask the Lord to purify your muddied spring. That just like Adonai sprinkles clean water on his nation Israel, just like Christ sprinkles clean water onto you every single day with his words and encouragement. It's time for your spring to be cleansed in that same way. You're going to be the bride of Christ and you're going to be Christ to the nation of Israel 
You need to start representing him well to your wife and to your brothers. For others, you've been a coward toward the needs of the body of Christ. It's your job to cleanse from idolatry, to cleanse from impurity, starting with yourself, but then moving to your covenant partners. You need to repent for being a coward who will neither deal with your own impurities nor lovingly confront your brothers about theirs and bring them the word that they desperately need during their time of struggle so that they can overcome. When you bring the word to your brothers that they need, they get a revelation of what God will do and the fact that their perfection is in the future, but it is going to happen. What do you think is going to happen when you encounter Israel? They're going to need the exact same security coming from your mouth. Your perfection of these things starting right now is the preparation that you need for the perfection of the bride of Christ. And you can wait no longer. Pray for us, Adam. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are opening up our eyes to see your design and purposes clearly. Lord, you're piercing our hearts with the actions that we must take actions that have been from the very beginning that we have let slide. Things, Lord God, that we do not want to continue on. Lord, we are standing ready to make a change. We are standing, Lord, wanting to walk fully in the purposes you have. Lord, to bring, to bring a fullness to your people to have life spring up like never before. Lord God, we are committing this time right now to you. Cleanse our thoughts, mighty King. Purify our vision for your people, mighty God. We love you and we desire that change today. What a fantastic and revelatory message that these men gave us. Are your eyes being open? Greater proportions? They were rightly understanding the Newer Testament writings because we're rightly understanding the foundation of it found in the Older Testament. We hear the bride of Christ, we should now think it is Israel. And it's a mystery that we get to be a participant in it with them. As these guys were uh, covering some very, very important points, something began to stand out to me of personal application. It's when they began to talk about how God and Jesus testified about what his bride will be. You know, we've covered in several messages God's forecasting of what his bride will be and the glorious process of the difference between where she was and where she will arrive to. You know, husbands, it's a must that you have vision of what your bride will be. And it's got to be from the start. When they covered the definition of the name Ephesus, the desired one, it's very clear that Jesus desired his bride Israel, not because she was already perfected before acquiring her. It's rather because she desired to be perfected by him in that glorious process. See, wives... We can relate to the glorious process of being perfected by a husband. All we got to do is look up to our king and see how he husbands us. Were you perfected the day before you were born again? No. But are you being perfected in the covenant relationship with Yeshua? What my personal application is, in addition to the very substance these men preached about, is that now looking at the mystery revealed to us as Gentiles, it is now my responsibility to testify to what will be. Amen. What will be in my bride. What will be in my home. What will be in my covenant relationships that God has given me. Starting from the covenant that God gave me to reflect his covenant with us. 
Isaiah 62 and verse 1 begins to state this very plainly. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Come on. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. So, well, Matt, how do you know that that specific wedding language? I don't know. Maybe we keep reading and it'll tell us exactly that. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, desired one, and your land Beulah, married. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. So if God is testifying of what his bride will be, Jesus testifying to what the bride of Israel will be, and took on the responsibility to lead her through that glorious process, then husbands, let's reflect our God and our King. Today, let your mouths testify of what your bride will be. Testify what your family will be. Testify to what your covenant relationships and what this body of believers will be. It is easy to point out flaws and for me to return back to the very first Adam. That when I send, I point downstream at the bride that God gave me. No. Instead, we're going to be like the second Adam that takes responsibility for the condition of our home and then begins to declare what will be by the power and working of our God. Grab your neighbor's hands come here my love I'm going to bring you to me sprinkle you with clean water give you a new heart put my spirit in you take you to be with me it's good to be in covenant isn't it mighty king of Israel we thank you for entrusting to us the mysteries that you have revealed Revealed through your word and revealed through your covenant with your people, Israel. Lord, we look to you, our king, and we declare because of your right hand and great power what will be in our lives and what will be in this church. We will see the birthing of ministries on an exponential level. We will see lands have families planted in them that will spread this gospel around the world. And we will see your people Israel carried on our shoulders back to their land and the fulfillment of your lordship and husbandry of your nation. In the name of Jesus, amen.